and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're going to head over to our graduation party after our graduation at Huntington Hills High School. We're going to go get locked in a bathroom with like our semi- old best friend from elementary school and and fall in love with them, I guess. And then also we're going to go cruise in our car, uh, listening to Barry Manilow after we got our heart kind of broken a little bit. But that's right, everybody. Today we're going to be covering 1998's Can't Hardly Wait. Now this movie, for me, my history with it, is I definitely saw it probably when I was a teenager, I would say. Uh, I think it's definitely a movie that you should watch as a teenager. I I think it's a good one to watch because it's very much about a high school graduation, these complete 20-something-year-olds playing teenagers, I guess. But it's, uh, you know, it has some fun, you know, nostalgia for the 90s. And, uh, you know, it's following these characters on the last night of high school for them and right before they start to join the quote real world, I guess, you know, and, and I think that, uh, this movie for sure, it has a certain level of, of occult status. I think people love this movie. They go in for this movie, you know, and, and I also think it's interesting that it's, it's a movie where so many people in it also, we're right at the beginning of their careers, respectively, you know, and and the fact that it's one of those movies where you could be like, wait, isn't that or oh, wait, isn't that kind of a thing? And so uh, I just think that's really interesting, too. And, and you know, for what I've understood about my research with this movie as well is that, you know, it came out and it, it did all right. But, you know, it kind of went under the radar, if anything. And it's not like it was a big, giant success or anything but it has stayed around and it's kind of stayed uh relevant in a way um and i i think that's what does it you know for this movie and and it's it's one of my faves i i always enjoy it you know and and i wanted to talk about it because why the hell not this is my show (laughs) but as we uh do normally on this show we're going to be diving into some of the figures of this movie, some critical response quotes, going to talk a little bit about some production history and how the movie came to be, and then we'll move into a plot summary. So without further ado, let's move on to those figures. Can't Hardly Wait was released on June 12th, 1998, and was written and directed by Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont, and was produced by Jenna Topping and Betty Thomas. We're looking at an estimated budget of $10 million, and an overall box office of $25,605,015. We're looking at a Rotten Tomatoes score of 40% on the tomato meter, and a 63% audience score. We're looking at IMDb score of 6.5 out of 10 and a letterboxd score of 3.1 out of 5. For our main cast of characters, we have Ethan Embry as Preston Myers, Jennifer Love Hewitt as Amanda Beckett, Lauren Ambrose as Denise Fleming, Peter Facinelli as Mike Dexter, Seth Green as Kenny Fisher, and Charlie Corzmo as William Lichter. But then we also have appearances by actors like Joel Michaeli, Chris Owen, Jason Siegel, Clea Duvall, we also have Jamie Presley and Tamala Jones, we have Sean Patrick Thomas and Freddie Rodriguez, Donald Faison, Eric Balfour, some of Blair's in there, Sarah Rue, Nicole Bilderback, and a whole host of all different types of actors. Then we also have some unaccredited performances from Jenna Elfman as Angel Stripper, Jerry O'Connell as Trip McNeely, Melissa Joan Hart as Vicky the Yearbook Girl, Brecken Meyer as 
uh, one of the members of Love Burger, the band at the party. Uh, actually, Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont have little voice cameos in the movie in the beginning. Uh, and then you also have like Amber Benson and Jennifer Elise Cox. Um, if you don't know, Amber Benson was in, uh, Buffy and Jennifer Elise Cox was Jan back in the Brady Bunch movies. So that's kind of fun that we have all different types of characters in this, uh, particular movie. Some critical response quotes about Can't Hardly Wait are as follows. We have Mark Caro from the Chicago Tribune who states, Kaplan and Alphonse provide a real public service by showing how underage binge drinking can boost bookish students' social lives. We then have Emmanuel Levy from Variety who states, A failed attempt to recapture the exuberant magic of such high school film classics as American Graffiti. This is a loud and boisterous comedy in which the entire action is set during an intermittently long graduation night and then we have alan jones from radio times who states flat characters are stuck in underdeveloped situations in this attempt by first-time directors deborah kaplan and harry elfont to recapture the mood of a john hughes 1980s teen comedy so before we get into any kind of plot summary for can't hardly wait i wanted to just go over some production history of the movie a little bit about the legacy of the film and also just some stuff about casting and how they filmed this and all that good stuff now there is an article out there from the ringer which was written by andrew grotodaro and it's called um the beer has not gone bad how can't hardly wait became a teen cult classic right up my alley right so uh this was written back in 2018 and it talks a little bit about um how this movie exactly came to be from uh the people who wrote and directed it so harry elfont and deborah kaplan are uh writing partners they were in their late 20s at the time and they had just finished the script for the 1996 movie a very brady sequel which is so apropos i think because this movie and i also think uh, a very brady sequel also have a certain campy quality to them so it makes sense that they wrote this and they really just were coming up with an idea for a movie that they could both write and direct because they really wanted to do that and so they asked themselves one question that what could we do if we wanted to make a movie for as little as possible so they were like, okay, well, we need to, ha we have a house or like an apartment and we got a lot of young actor friends who are unemployed. And so a lot of these people that they knew were known for playing like high schoolers as well at the time. And they were thinking like, okay, maybe we'll do a throwback to John Hughes movie, right? Like maybe we can do something like that. And then they were thinking of Say Anything, which I think is a really fun teen movie from the eighties. And, uh, they were thinking of the party scene in that movie. And the party scene, if you don't know, is the one where John Cusack is there and like Ioni Sky is there as well. And then some of their friends are there. And it's a whole thing, right? Deborah Kaplan and Harry Alphonse, they really just thought, well, what if that's the whole movie is that party scene? Let's, let's do something like that. That might be cool. And so they went about writing it and decided to start developing it that way. The original title for this movie was actually called The Party, aptly named. Harry and Deborah had structured this so that all of the movie's main characters, Preston, Mike, William, and Kenny, they were all friends. And Preston was meant to fall in love with his best girlfriend, Denise. But that wasn't really working out, though, for the story. And so... 
It just didn't feel like they were reflecting enough as a whole. And, you know, I think even, uh, Harry Alphonse said, you know, it just felt like a subsection of the high school experience. And it wasn't until they decided to break up the characters and have them really represent relatable high school archetypes of the time that things really started to fall into place. And it was more so like, well, what happens if these people don't even really know each other? And, you know, we can keep the idea that Preston is in love, but maybe he should be in love with the most popular girl in the world, Amanda Beckett, who then, at that time, got dumped by her equally popular boyfriend, Mike Dexter. And then writing little vignettes around that plot with Mike, uh, with William, Kenny, and Denise, which is pretty much what happened. So once they started doing that part, that's where it really started to come together. And then this is just what you can call serendipity, I guess. So while they were doing this, they were putting the finishing touches on their script of Can't Hardly Wait at the end of 1996, a little movie called Scream came out. Now, I did a Scream episode, so you can go listen to that one if you want. You learn all about horror movies. But that film uh, did very well um, after a while. It was really word by mouth. You know, it made $6 million its first weekend. Then it made $10 million by its third weekend. And then overall, it made like $100 million domestically on a $14 million budget. So... That is really, this is again why Scream was just an influential movie of the time, was really that this opened the door, I think, for people to be able to be like, hmm, there's an audience for people who want to see movies about teenagers. And that's why you get this onslaught of these movies that came out, you know, at that time after Scream. Yeah, you had a whole bunch of horror movies coming out, but then also you have these teen movies, and I think Can't Hardly Wait definitely uh, is within that as well, which is huge. Harry and Deborah they had a deal to make Can't Hardly Wait with Columbia Pictures through Sony by 1997, and they actually even, like, were able to direct this movie, which is awesome, too. Uh, they only got, like, $9 million, was it they said, so, you know, it wasn't a huge gamble in terms of just studio money, I guess, but, uh, they also ended up getting Betty Thomas and Jenna Topping to be to be producers on this film as well. And uh, it was funny. They, they talked about in this article that Betty gave them a test. They were like, all right, we I want you to do this scene where Preston sees Amanda, but we never see her face. And how are you going to make this happen? So they literally like drew it out. They storyboarded it. And then when they showed the scene to Betty, they were like, oh, yeah, this is great. Like, don't worry about it. Like, there's no other question. Like, you know what you're doing. You're fine. You know, so it was it was kind of cool that they had that that bit of freedom, which was nice. That's pretty much how this movie came to be, at least when it was inspired. So now you have to find your cast. So pretty much a lot of this movie, I mean, generally, they didn't really... They came across Ethan Embry uh, because he had been in... Empire Records by that point. He'd also been in some other movies as well. They didn't really know if he would be, like, an actual good, like, leading guy, you know? 
But it ended up working out perfectly well. Ethan Embry came to this movie, and also Peter Facinelli came to this movie, and Seth Green, I think, came to this movie, because Breck and Meyer, who happened to be dating Deborah Kaplan at the time, they came across that because they were friends with Breck and Meyer, which is why also Breck and Meyer's in this movie for a short time. And Seth Green was also brought in because Breck and Meyer pretty much. So Breck and Meyer made a lot of connections happen for this movie, apparently, <laughs> which is just very funny. But yeah, I mean, the directors didn't know, they didn't imagine Ethan Embry being a, um, a, a leading guy in this movie, but then they decided like, all right, let's, let's freaking do this, dude. And so they just, they maybe wanted him to read for William, actually, but then Ethan Embry was insistent. They're like, no, I know I'm not your typical leading man, but like, I think you'd be better suited if you didn't cast that guy. You know, and I want to do this. So they read for Preston. There was something really charming and endearing about him. And he made it sympathetic. And it all worked out, really. So again, Peter Facinelli, he got a cast from this movie as well. They really liked him. And, you know, they seemed to think he could do the the Mike Dexter role. Again, Seth Green came in from Brecken Meyer, worked out in his way. He actually has talked about this, I think on a Vanity Fair video, I think it was, he talked about this movie and how one of his things he loves doing is bringing life to these characters that are a little bit misunderstood uh, and hopefully letting you see their heart in a way. And I think Kenny Fisher does do that in some kind of way. You see that he's kind of this kid who is so... Uh, <laughs> He's trying so hard to fit in and be cool, you know, and, and, um, <laughs> he fails at it. But, you know, it, it is something where he is just hiding who he really is. And that does come up in the movie as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's just interesting that Seth Green could, could give that, um, give that performance and give that heart to Kenny, I think. So another thing was also they were wondering who they wanted to bring in for Denise. They already knew that Jennifer Love Hewitt was going to be the girl. Because she was just a known person by that point. She had been on Party of Five. This had just happened where she had just shot I Know What You Did Last Summer, I think. And it had just been coming out. So, like, the fact that this movie came out right after uh I Know What You Did Last Summer just really worked in its favor. But they already knew Jennifer Love Hewitt was going to be the girl. But they didn't quite know who it was going to be with... Denise. They kind of wanted to get, they wanted to get Alicia Witt, I believe. They, they did, they were interested in her of like, oh, let's do this. And even some others, uh, Reese Witherspoon, Christina Rishi, like, you know, they, they really, they were thinking like, who else could they get? And then Lauren Ambrose, who really hadn't done a ton at this point, she had been in the movie, uh, In and Out with Kevin Klein. Go watch it. It's a great movie. Um, and she'd been in that, but like she hadn't been in a ton, but something about her, they saw her audition tape. They saw like half of her audition tape and they were like, Oh my God, who is that? And then as soon as she showed up, they were like, Oh, she's, she's the one. Like we're getting her because this is perfect. And it's crazy too. Again, we'll get into just like the legacy of some of these, um, some of these characters that, you know, have gone on and had these actors had gone on and, and had a, great career but yeah i think a lot of the casting of this movie really ran on instinct it all just kind of it all just kind of worked out honestly it was really just 
seeing who was the best one for the job and then also bringing in kind of tongue-in-cheek things like having someone like a jenna elfman who was known for being on a um a tv show i believe at the time if i'm not mistaken she was on dharma and greg at this point so people would have known who she was because she was on tv every week having someone like a melissa joan hart in the movie who at that point had been sabrina so bringing her in and and other just random people you know even have like a selma blair who like had just been in also in and out but also is on the precipice of having been she's gonna about to be in uh cruel intentions by this point so it's just crazy how this all kind of worked can't hardly wait itself uh had started shooting in october of 1997 this is all pretty much shot in california it's really supposed to be any town usa i think really we don't ever know where they actually are this isn't like a specifically west coast type film or a east coast type film or any of that kind of stuff i really kind of get the idea that it's a every town type of place and a lot of these interiors were done on a sound stage and this movie had uh only had been shot in 26 days, which again, I think, uh, from what it sounds like on this article that, you know, Harry and, and Deborah were talking about, you know, it seems like this shoot for the most part was fairly pretty easy and laid back, I guess. Um, yeah, they just got very comfortable with everybody and it all kind of worked out very well. And it was so much so that like, everyone felt really good on set and it was great and to kind of say like hey look like just know that this isn't how it always is either on set so this is a rarity sometimes but this is awesome you know and definitely having like good people behind the camera to be able to make this a good environment to be able to work in was super super huge and they also got like a great like costume designer a great dp for stuff like it all worked out the only unfortunate thing they kind of had uh in this movie was initially charlie corsmo was not cast as william lichter uh the geek of the story uh, there was a gentleman by the name of adam han bird who had been he was 15 at the time so keep this in mind guys 15 all the rest of these people are in their friggin' 20s okay so they had he had just been in a movie called little man tate and he was just really good right and whatever and then when he got on set and started doing the role that come to find out you're like oh shit I don't think this is going to work. They even thought, like, even literally, I think it was Deborah Kaplan who said something, or I think it was Harry Alfont who said, they were like, oh, oh dear God, this isn't going to work. They started worrying about, like, this guy has to, like, sing Paradise City at the top of his lungs. Like, this is not who he is. Like, what is this? Like, oh, shit. You know, they pretty much felt like they made the wrong decision. Um, And they feel really bad about that because, like, they really liked him. He was so nice and wonderful, but they did have to fire him, unfortunately. Uh, it was, they even said that it was the worst person you could fire because they were so nice. But again, it just didn't work out. But, and I think it had even affected the cast a little bit. You know, people were like, well, I guess I'm still here. You still here? All right, cool. You know, and, and that can always happen, especially when something like that happens and you're just like, oh shit, are we, are we safe? What are we going to do? But uh, nobody else got fired after that, which was nice. And they were able to then make the decision of bringing in um, 
Like, even apparently Lauren Ambrose was, like, really freaked out and scared. I mean, you're nervous because you never know as an actor. Like, your job's always on the fucking line. Literally. You never... There's no stability, hardly. So the fact that you're like, oh, God, this guy got fired. What did he do? It was so bad. I thought he was so nice. Um, But it's all good. They turned to another actor, Charlie Corsmo, who had been in Hook, Dick Tracy, What About Bob... He had actually left Hollywood to go to college, and so he, while he was in his sophomore year at MIT, I believe it was, uh, he decided to get back in a little bit to acting, so that was kind of fun. And, uh, and yeah, I, I just, uh, they were able to really place the guy that they had to fire, and, and it all ended up working out, which was really nice. So this movie really didn't do anything a whole lot with release. It only lasted three weeks. It made $26 million, which I thought was, was pretty good for what, you know, the budget was and everything. But it just wasn't, um, the, it wasn't gangbusters, obviously. And I think it's funny because in this particular, uh, article, <laughs> Because they even say it was kind of like the first weekend was like really great. Like executives are calling being like, oh, yeah, you got a hit. Like, this is awesome. And then it was like tumbleweeds. And that's just probably how Hollywood honestly is, it seems like. Um, but it made its money back, you know, but it kind of was a disappointment a little bit of like, you know, oh, okay, that happened, I guess. Like, what do we do now? Um I also love that in this article, Ethan Embry still, uh, he blames the lackluster numbers of this film on the fact that this particularly or final product of the movie was sanitized to get a PG-13 rating. And I kind of see what he's saying, honestly, because he was there. Also, a little fun fact, if you didn't already know, Ethan Embry throughout this whole movie, I believe he has even been quoted as saying, maybe, call me out if I'm wrong, but... I believe he's even stated that, like, he only remembers so much of the movie because he himself was kind of high throughout the whole thing, which when you really think about it, if that is true, you kind of see it. You kind of could be like, huh, I'd buy it, to be honest with you. I really would. Um, But the fact that a lot of things got edited out, like characters that were on drugs... Jason Siegel, who makes the uncounter-edited cameo in this movie, he's not just the watermelon guy because he, like, carries around a watermelon. He also is having a sexual relationship with the said watermelon, you know? And also, I... Because you'll find out, I love the Klepto Kid. He is my favorite character. But there's also a character that was cut out, played by the one and only Jennifer Elise Cox, Jam Brady herself, who was... uh, drunk crying girl who all of her lines were subtitled which i thought would be really funny and i would love to see those cuts but even ethan embry said that they did it to empire records too which i think that they did do that movie's pg-13 and it feels like it so and what's even worse is that they didn't even release that in theaters really like they didn't release it like that um and then Can't Hardly Wait opens up, you know, in the fourth, and of course it did, but it's just funny because you look at something like Can't Hardly Wait and you're like, okay, yeah, it's kind of cut down and sanitized. But then these movies that came after it, like, you know, American Pie, Super Bad, these types of movies that are way crazier and way raunchier than something like Can't Hardly Wait, I just think it would have been so interesting to see Can't Hardly Wait be a little bit more raunchy if they could be an R. I just thought that would have been so cool. 
And then, of course, I think the legacy of this film in particular, I think a lot of people just would notice, like, I don't know. I think this movie in particular is a cult classic because it speaks to just teenagers in general. And and it is a very important story of, like, this is all happening the night of a party on graduation day. And graduation is a huge thing, whether it's from high school or college or whatever. But, like, generally, when you graduate from high school, yeah, your life's about to be way different, you know? And and that is both exciting and scary. So, you know, there's a reason people have their own anxieties about it and they have their own kind of thoughts about the whole thing. And so, you know, yeah, it, it can mean a lot to people in high school and teenagers to feel like, oh, I, I can understand this story and, you know, it would be my movie. Like, oh, I really understand that. And, and yeah, I completely can understand that too. Like, you know, this is a movie where I do enjoy it because I think it really speaks to the high school experience and just how crazy it is, but also how... You're on the precipice of something so much different ahead of you because now you kind of have the whole world ahead of you. So I just think it's like so interesting. And and I do think it is a movie where like it is a movie that is very much paved the way for movies after it to be. Uh, whether you, you think it was lackluster or, or you have your criticisms of it, I, I do think that this is a movie that really stands in its own ground and it has um this just level of of heart to it in a way kind of sort of but also like is generally funny just generally a comedy which is nice too so i i do like that and i also enjoy the fact that like this movie is very much like a blink and you'll miss type of thing of like oh my god is that this person oh god is that that person so we always love those kinds of movies too those are always very very fun um and i think with can't hardly wait at least in particular i think with can't hardly wait in particular though i believe that it's a movie that just speaks to a lot of different people and yeah i just really enjoy it so that's a little bit about the production of this movie, you know, and how it came to be and the legacy of it. I don't think I'd ever want to see this be redone or anything. I think it lives in this little... Oh, I, I know what I was going to say. Um, I do think it's really cool, too, that, you know, Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan, they made this movie that is just so its own movie. It has its own voice. It you know, has this interesting narrative to it. Uh, and I think it's so cool that they then went on to also, you know, they worked on a very brave sequel before this, but they also then went and worked on Josie and the Pussycats. It's also a very divisive movie, I think, because there's some people who hate it. There's some people who love it. So I, I personally enjoy it. I think Josie and the Pussycats is great, but it's so funny to me that like, it also came from these guys too, you know, and, and it, it is so squarely in the middle of that. So, um, and it's so squarely its own movie. It has its own voice and I think it's really great. So, but without further ado though, after we've gone over all that information, we're now going to move into a plot summary of 
can't hardly wait. We begin our film with our title sequence with an Eve Six song playing. And we see these supposed teenagers coming and sitting down for their high school graduation in their caps and gowns and everything. And during the course of this title sequence, we're hearing a bunch of different people talking. We hear like, hey, did you hear that Mike Dexter broke up the man Beckett? And we're also hearing, like, hey, did you hear about that big party tonight? And, like, all these things kind of just conversating uh, among these different graduates. Uh, A lot of these were actually done by um, the writers and directors of this film, uh, Harry Alfont and Deborah Kaplan. Uh, But we are having all these little conversations, little side conversations going on. And then we finally get to the final one, which is from a guy who's apparently just naked underneath his gown. Um, and he is talking to the guy next to him and he says something to the effect of, I'm sure you heard that Mike Dexter and Amanda Beckett broke up and this perks this guy's interest. And this is actually our main character named Preston Myers, played by Ethan Embry. He was from Defending Your Life, Disturbing Behavior he had been in for a, a small role in that, Empire Records, a bunch of different things. And his interest has peaked because I guess he's been in love with Amanda for years and years and years. Uh, I also like that uh, for these particular main characters I'm going to talk about, each one of them has a snapshot, like a yearbook snapshot and like a little yearbook page kind of sort of. So Preston's is his activities were literary journal, honor society and swimming. His future plans are going to Dartmouth College, and his senior quote is, beware of all enterprises that require new clothes, which is a quote by Thoreau. And so, I thought that was kind of fun, but then we are introduced to Denise Fleming, who is uh, his best girlfriend, it seems like, who's played by Lauren Ambrose, my girl from Six Feet Under, uh, she was going to be on Yellow Jackets, uh, Psycho Beach Party, uh, all, all sorts of stuff. Uh, wonderful actress and love her. So you can see that this is her, uh, Preston's like best friend kind of thing. Her activities are none. She is uh, planning to go to NYU. And her senior quote is, A true friend stabs you in the front by Oscar Wilde. And so they're like turning in their caps and gowns and talking about whatever. And so Denise is very much like kind of out of ready to be out of this town like so over it like you know isn't really all that social i guess except for preston or except with preston i guess anyway so then we see them kind of talking to each other and then again preston's on this kick of like you know i've i missed my shot to you know get with amanda beckett but now i have the chance to do it so this then leads into our flashback scene of freshman year of high school for for Preston, where he was the first person to ever see Amanda Beckett come to Huntington Hills High School. He was late for the bus, he got dropped off, and then at the same time he got dropped off, Amanda Beckett was also getting dropped off, and, you know, she walked into the school and everything. And this is a really interesting scene because uh, we don't actually see Amanda Beckett's face quite yet. Or Mike Dexter's either, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But we see that this was actually a scene where uh, it was a test that Betty Thomas, one of the producers, gave to the directors of this film to be like, hey, shoot this scene where Preston's talking about how he first ever saw Amanda Beckett, but make it so that she doesn't show her face yet. And, you know, they were able to do it and it worked out really well, which is great. 
But we see that they're in English class and the teacher sits Amanda right next to Preston and Preston was enjoying a Pop-Tart. And then also like Amanda had a Pop-Tart she took out and Preston takes this as like a sign that they are meant to be together. And the teacher asks like, uh, who would like to give Amanda a tour of the school and Preston wants to, but then it ends up being Mike Dexter and then Mike Dexter and Amanda Beckett get together as we have found out. So then we come back to present day with Amanda. We come back to present day with Preston and Denise and Preston is like, I missed her. I have missed my opportunity, but now I'm not going to, you know, I'm tonight's the night. And so he's planning to go to this party that we were talking about a little earlier. And Denise is like, well, have fun with that. And uh, be sure to tell everybody how much I'm going to miss them. <laughs> like very sarcastically. And he, Preston's like, you're really not going to go? Why won't you go? And Denise is like, why, why would I go to this party? And Preston's just like, well, what else are you going to do tonight? And so then they're in his car and she's like, I can't believe I'm going to this stupid party. Like, what the hell? But anyway, so then they are driving off um, onto the road and then we are introduced to, we've only heard of him, but we haven't seen his face quite yet, but we're then introduced to Mike Dexter, uh, who is sitting outside of a fast food place, I guess, with his friends, eating food. Uh, he is played by Peter Facinelli, uh, who, before he was in Twilight as a dad, uh, he was on Six Feet Under as one of uh, Claire, Lauren Ambrose's art school friends, and um, he's been in other things as well. And so, but this is one of his big roles he's had. Mike Dexter was involved in varsity football, varsity baseball, varsity wrestling, varsity track, and being the homecoming king. His future plans are Ithaca College, where he's going to go. And then his quote is, just win, baby. And that's from Al Davis of the Oakland Raiders, the owner of the Oakland Raiders. What I think is interesting about this film, too, is that I guess they really try to set it in a way where it's kind of like any town USA, I guess. This is very much like an L.A. film. It was shot there and and everything, but uh, they try to make it so that it it doesn't feel completely like L.A. It can feel like kind of anywhere in the country, I guess, which is kind of the whole point. But we're then introduced also to Mike's friends. So we have... Ben, played by Sean Patrick Thomas, who was uh, in Cruel Intentions, Save the Last Dance, Not Another Teen Movie, all that kind of stuff. And he is like one of the people of color in this film. Um, we then have TJ, played by Freddie Rodriguez, another person of color, a Hispanic gentleman, um, who then was on Six Feet Under. Again, a lot of Six Feet Under people in this movie. But uh, he was playing TJ. And then we have Shannon Rowe, who's playing Jake, I believe. And he was on My So-Called Life. I think he was also in Psycho Beach Party with Lauren Ambrose. So anyway, but they're all talking about like, I can't believe you broke up the man to man and be like, well, I did it because, you know, I wanted to have that time before I went to college and all this kind of stuff. And he's explaining why he broke up with her, I guess. And so they're all like, maybe we should break up with our girlfriends and and all this kind of stuff. And they're all just riling each other up. One of the things I also noticed was um, TJ's laugh is really annoying, where he just goes like, nah, nah. It's like so weird. Anyway, but... I just thought it was kind of funny, but uh, they all decide they're going to they're gonna get uh, going to go to this party, and in the middle they're saying, like, Mike Dexter's a god, Mike Dexter's a role model, and then we move into our next introduction to William Lichter, uh, who just states, Mike Dexter is an asshole. 
And uh, Will is played by Charlie Corsmo, who was from Hook um, and a couple other movies as well. Uh, when he was a little younger, he actually came back to acting after having gone to MIT. He was in the middle of going to MIT when he got back into to film a little bit. And hasn't really been in a whole lot of movies since, I don't think. He was actually a replacement, as I mentioned a little earlier. He replaced a gentleman by the name of Adam Hanbury. Bird, who um, initially was cast in this role, but ended up pretty much getting fired, who apparently was really, really nice and like a great kid, but Charlie was a little bit older than him and he could kind of do what was expected of the role and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you know, it ended up working out. Will is talking about how Mike has, you know, made his life hell for the last four years and tonight it stops here. And so he has this whole elaborate plan. We are then introduced to Will's friends, who are just known as the X-Files, which I think is kind of funny. The first X-File is played by Joel Michaeli, who was in But I'm a Cheerleader after this, and also was in like a couple episodes of Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, and has just been an actor overall, and is an out gay man. He's on Instagram. Go follow him. And then Jay Paulson is the second X-File, and he has um, been an actor. He was in the movie Go, which was also kind of a teen movie, but he's been in a couple movies and a couple TV shows since, you know, but the elaborate plan that they have, or that Will has, really, uh, I love how they're like, you know, you're Boba Fett, and then you're Grandmaster, or whatever the fuck, and then they're like, kind of saying, why can't I be this? Why can't I be that? And then... Will's just like, okay, you're both just gonna be kiss dolls then. And then I love how Joel Begley's just like, oh. I just thought that was funny. But anyway, so uh, what the plan is, is that they're going to pretty much lure Mike out to behind the pool house, I guess, where the x-files are going to be on the top of the the pool house just staking out and will's gonna like lead him out there and then they're gonna like drug him with chloroform that they made in chem class apparently and then they're going to take lurid homo erotic pictures of of mike dexter in this compromising situation um because of course you can't be gay but anyway so (laughs) Anyway, so that's a whole thing, though. Uh, and this is their whole plan. And then when they're, like, leaving, they, they take a ladder with them, and they're, like, leaving up the stairs. And, again, it's just, like, so silly. But this then brings us into the next scene where it goes from a camera that I guess Will has in his house that's, like, taping, like, his basement or shit. And, like, it then moves into... Uh, one of the last introductions we've had, we're almost there, this is our second to last one, of Kenny Fisher. And he's in a convenience store with his friends. Kenny Fisher is played by Seth Green, who at this point had been in the It miniseries as a kid. He was in that, but he had also been in the Hotel New Hampshire. Um, my mother's a step, uh, my stepmother's an alien. Um, he's then now gone on to be, of course, by this point, I think he might have already been on Buffy at this point, or he was going to be, but he was already kind of a staple in that group. He's made Robot Chicken and all that stuff. He's in Party Monster, like good, good actor, Seth Green. But anyway, we then have his friends as well, who are these uh, gentlemen. Anyway, we have his two friends, right? And so him and these two friends of his are pretty much just these, like, white-ass children, I guess, who are just, like, completely and utterly, um, 
I don't know. Oh, these are who they are. So they're known as the homeboys. And the one homeboy, I believe, is Braden Williams. The other homeboy is Bobby Jacoby. But anyway, so, like, these guys, though, like, they are so much trying to be urban and hood, quote-unquote, if you will. That's a whole thing. But this is what they wanted to do, is that... But the thing with Kenny, especially, is that Kenny is very much a character who isn't comfortable with himself, or he is trying to be something that he is not, which then comes back into the story, of course, but... You know, generally, that's what this is, is that we're, um, he's trying so hard to be something that he's not, and I just think that's a really interesting way to take this role, um, and just the way that they kind of have it is kind of odd a little bit. Again, just this kid trying to act black when he's totally not, and it's a whole thing, and we can, you can get into a whole conversation about that. But generally, though, it still kind of works in a way where it shows who Seth green or who kenny is in this this um character we then also get introduced to one of my favorite characters if not my favorite character um of the klepto kid played by chris owen who would then go to be in american pie as the shermanator he had been on boy meets world at this point actually as a small character and had done other things as well but he <laughs> but that's what he uh, he did. And so I love him because he just steals shit through a whole movie. So like he literally that's his that's his little character, which I just love and is iconic. But anyway, so we wrap up with Kenny and his friends and then we have everyone's kind of introduction to the party. Um, so Denise and Preston arrive at the party um, <clears throat> at this girl's house. We don't actually learn the girl's name, I don't think, if I'm not mistaken. I feel like it's just the girl whose party it is, um, is in the script. I don't even know if we find out her name. But anyway, so Preston is talking about, like, how I'm going to give her the letter tonight. I'm going to give her the letter. And so Denise is like, you're not giving her the letter because you haven't had time to proofread it. And you're not going to make a fool of yourself. But then, like, Preston is just so dogged about this he's just so determined and he also hears the song mandy by barry manilow on the the radio he takes that as a sign where like do you hear that like amanda mandy like that's that's a sign like it has to be right and so denise is of course like not to burst your bubble but like i believe that that is about his dog actually like what do you mean like who who names their dog amanda you know or who names their dog mandy and denise is all like my dog, my cousin named her dog Samantha. And then he's just like, all right, just shut up about the dog though. It's like, so silly. But anyway, so you have Denise and Preston. They go into the actual party where we're introduced to the girls whose party it is. Um, this girl is played by, I believe her name is Michelle Brookhurst is who this girl is. And so, we then get our introduction to her, and we also get our introduction to another character who I kind of love, uh, is Yearbook Girl, who I don't think has an actual name, but she is played in an uncredited cameo by the one and only Melissa Joan Hart. So Melissa Joan Hart, if you don't already know, has a podcast called What Women Binge, uh, but also she is Clarissa from A Clarissa Explains It All, Sabrina from the first iteration of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and just generally overall, like, being a 90s child actor, teen actor person. 
So this was like a, a fun cameo for her to do. I, I listened to her podcast too. She talked about the making of it a little bit. And so it was interesting because she was doing Sabrina during the day and she was doing this at night because it's all shot really at night. And like some of the fun things is like um, some of the names that she spouts out in this movie are actually names of like her family members, which is kind of fun because they kind of had she had Clark Blanche to do kind of what she wanted because um, she was just a famous person so she was able to to have do that and then we have uh kenny and his friends arrive at the party as well and so they are not welcomed very well because like you see that like uh the girl whose party it is is like kenny hi so she's obviously not really stoked for him to be there and so but him and his friends arrive with their like stupid stupid glory uh, we then are introduced to Loveburger, um, who is the band that is playing at this party. So these people who are in Loveburger are these different gentlemen, uh, one of whom is played by Donald Faison. He's the drummer. Brecken Meyer, who is in an uncredited cameo as like the lead singer. Uh, then we have Johnny Xander, who is, I think, a guitar player, and then a bass player is Alex Led. Um, but they're Love Burger. They're this like uh, <laughs> this little group that's at the party that they like have T-shirts there and all this stuff, and they're just trying to like you know I guess they're setting up as like they're the band of the the show, the party I guess. And it's fun because, of course, like Donald Faison and Breck and Meyer uh, were in Clueless together, of course. Uh, Breck and Meyer and Seth Green knew each other very well. I think even like Breck and Meyer kind of helped him get this role as well, which is kind of cool. We then see that Will and his friends are setting up their posts at the party. So, like, we see that they're going out to the pool house. They, you know, climb up. And the fact that they don't get caught is crazy, but like, they stake out at the pool house uh, on top of it and then will is like you know i'm gonna go in and like lead him out here and they're like but you know william you could get a you know they'll be drinking there and you could get addicted um and he's like oh don't worry gents i got this thing from the internet which is so apropos for 1998 but he got this like little um card thing that tells him how much he can drink before he'll actually get drunk uh, which for him is probably not much because he's like a scrawny, skinny dude. Like, so it probably doesn't take him that much. But anyway, so I just thought that was kind of fun. But yeah, and I also like how one of his friends is like, you know, William, in this light, you slightly resemble David Duchovny. Because, of course, they're into X-Files and all that kind of stuff. And I thought that was just kind of fun. But William goes into the party and the X-Files take their place on the post of uh, the top of the pool house. We then get our little intro to uh, the foreign exchange student who only only has like a couple lines. He literally has like two lines in this movie. Uh, he's played by Alexander Mar- Alexander Martin, um, who he then also was in Josie and the Pussycats because literally Seth Green, Alexander Martin, Brecken Meyer, and Donald Faison are all in Josie and the Pussycats, which was like I believe written and directed by. Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan. So it's very funny how that kind of worked out itself and and all of that. Foreign exchange student is like this German dude who all he says throughout the movie is, I am a sex machine and would you like to touch my penis? Because that's what people have told him to say. And it's just like really silly and stupid, which I just think is kind of funny. 
But anyway, so we get his little intro. Then we have Mike Dexter and his friends arrive at the party. Um, and so they're just in there, like, and then of course, like, the yearbook girl is just like, sign my yearbook. Uh, and then, like, when he, she tries to get Kenny to, like, sign it, they're like, bitch, get a life. And then when Mike does, like, she's, like, cheering or whatever, and then they push her. It's, like, so silly and funny. But anyway, so we have that going on. And Mike Dexter arrives at the party, and he's there with his friends, just, like, being the popular guy or whatever. But then we finally have our last introduction of this movie, which is the one and only Amanda Beckett, who is played by the one and only Jennifer Love Hewitt, who, uh, her, Amanda Beckett's activities are cheerleading, homecoming queen, junior prom queen, and senior prom queen. Her future plans are undecided, and her senior quote is, I'd rather see the world from another angle by Jewel. So Jennifer Love Hewitt, of course, had been in House Arrest up at this point. She was on Kids Incorporated back in the day, uh, which is also funny. I'll talk about that in a minute. But also, she was in I Know What You Did Last Summer by this point as well. And yeah, it all kind of worked out, too, because like... By the time this movie actually came out, I believe I Know What You Did Last Summer had already come out. So the fact that, you know, the directors got this girl who was just very popular at the time just really, really worked out. And so then we have her arriving at the party and everyone's just like standing around and like looking at her um, as you do, I guess. And then we also see during the introduction to Mike and his friends at the party, we get the introduction to the girlfriends as well. So the girlfriends of these guys are played by Jamie Presley, who is, I believe Jake's girlfriend, Tamala Jones, who is Ben's girlfriend. And then Jennifer Lyons, who is TJ's girlfriend, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Jamie Presley. I think it's funny because she is also in not another teen movie. There's a couple of people in this movie who then ended up in not another teen movie, which I just think is really funny. And then, you know, but she literally was in a teen movie in this. Uh, Tamala Jones has, you know, also had some work as well. She was in Can't Hardly Wait was probably her big thing. She was in a movie called Booty Call, apparently. I don't know what that is, but okay, I'll take it for what it is. But she's also just like been an actress and been able to work as well, which is kind of cool for her. And I don't really know who Jennifer Lyons is, unfortunately. I uh, don't really know what else she did. But you see that like they link up with her. Uh, after she comes to the party, uh, they're linking up with Amanda Beckett to kind of be like, oh, hey, girlfriend, like, you know, what's up? Like, blah, 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 you know, whatever. That kind of a thing. Oh, it looks like she was in a Friday movie, Tamala Jones was. That's fun. For some reason, I thought, oh, I was so right. Oh, my God. Yeah. She was in that movie On the Line with Lance Bass that I watched a couple months ago. It's a bullshit movie. But you know what? Good for Tamala Jones. And then also Jennifer Lyons. I don't really know what else she was in. I think this is probably like one of her big things that she did. I think oh, look, she was in that 70s show. That's fun. Oh, God. No. She was in Malibu Dan, the family man. Oh, God. Oh, God. If you don't know what that is, it's a... Uh, on pure flicks and oh jesus christ oh no oh no 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 but anyway so anyway that's her those are the girlfriends you know whatever and so they link up with amanda like i was saying and they uh but you can tell that like they're not really uh i don't know like they link up with her right then you also get an intro to, like, because uh, it's then Denise and Preston walking around the party, but then 
like Denise is judging Kenny, but then like Preston's like, didn't you like date him? Like, didn't you like fucking like not date him, but like, weren't you friends with him? Like when you were like six or like eight or whatever. And, uh, Denise is just like, uh, that's not the point. Like, what do you mean? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so, and then you also find out that Preston and, Denise had also dated for like a week in eighth grade, apparently. But anyway, so this is where you get that bit of Kenny and Denise having some history as being friends together. Um, but then you see that Amanda Beckett and her girls are like in a side room of the party and they're talking to one another. And of course, they're like, you know, because of course they had this awkward kind of thing of, you know, Amanda sees Mike there and then they're like, oh, we got to see her. You know, we got to we got to like check in with our girl, you know, but it also feels like very forced and very just like uh, disingenuous. It seems like with their relationships with her, um, which is what I think the whole point is, is that they're telling her they're just like, and you know what? Mike Dexter is no Brad Pitt. You are just like so Gwyneth. You're like prettier than Gwyneth, but like like bigger boobs, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And Amanda just feels so uncomfortable by all this. She's like, you know what? I'm going to go outside for some fresh air, you know, and I I really just don't want to talk about this anymore. And then, of course, they're like, okay, I do not think she's prettier than Gwyneth. (laughs) And whatever. It's just like so silly because you just see that like. They're really not, they were really only friends because she was popular, is what you kind of gather, at least what I gather. So then you see, oh my god, I'm so stupid. These, like, notes I have sometimes. So my next note is, Kenny trying to link up with honeys. (laughs) So dumb. But uh, that's kind of what he's doing. He puts on his goggles, and he's, like, looking around the party. He has ten eligible ladies who he's going to go after, and so, like... He uh, goes up to one of them. Oh, gosh. He goes up to one of them and uh, he's like, yo, Camilla, what's up? What's happening, girl? Or like Corinne or whatever her name is. And they walk by him and he's like, nine eligible honeys. (laughs) Like, whatever it is. It's so funny. Anyway, so then Will goes into the party. He goes up and um, gets some beer. And then, of course, he drinks the beer and he has never tasted beer. So he uh, is like, the beer has gone bad. And it's just, like, so silly and, like, so ridiculous. Some of these extras, too, are also serving, which I thought was really fun as well. So Will goes into the party because he's going to have to get in there and and kind of get a lay of the land, if you will. We then see Kenny striking out with other ladies. So we see Kenny goes up to a woman, uh, a woman, a girl, by the name of Ashley is her name. And so, uh, good old Ashley is played by Paige Moss. And so she's not into him at all. And he's just up at her being like, you remember like in seventh grade when we were playing the spin the bottle with that group. And like, I saw you like I and me and she's like, oh yeah, it's because you were just eating those Cheetos and like, they were all stuck in your braces and no one wanted to tell you. And then we just called you Chester Cheeto and like all this stuff. Be like, Lynn, like, (laughs) Like, talk about little Kenny Fisher. Oh, bye, Chester. Like, they're making fun of him and reading him, which is just so funny. Um, And then, of course, the foreign exchange student is just like, Chester, Chester. Like, it's so stupid. Like, it's so... I don't know. This movie is so silly sometimes, which I kind of really like. um, Because it kind of needs to be. (laughs) Because why not? And then, of course, uh, Kenny then goes up to Jana, strikes out with her. Jana is played by a, uh, in the middle of or pre the faculty, Clea Duvall. Uh, and then she'd end up going into, uh, 
being but I'm a cheerleader, of course, as well. And uh, I love how she says, like, you know, Kenny asks her to dance and she's just like, I'm allergic to dancing. Be like, you're allergic to dancing? Like, yeah, yeah, I am. And then she just walks away and her friend walks away after her, which is just like very funny. And then, of course, also Clea Duvall was uh, very much allergic to men, too. So that's a whole thing as well. Then we have Preston and the reminiscing guy, which is what I call him. I think that's what he is credited as, actually, as well, if I'm not mistaken. So we have reminiscing guy. We have reminiscing guy who is played by Victor Tugonde. Um, and so he is just this guy who, like, fucking remembers everything, apparently. And so, like, yeah, he just remembers everything, I guess. And, like, he then... So we see Amanda sitting by herself and Preston's trying to get over and like also sit on the couch and like try to get her attention. You know what I mean? And that's all fine and well and dandy. But then what ends up happening is um, reminiscing guy comes up and he's then bringing up these like really embarrassing things that, you know, uh, Preston did when he was like younger where he and this guy were friends um, and it just kind of ruins his game. And Preston's not very happy about it at all. Because <laughs> then he says to him, he's like, oh, hey, you remember that time where, you know, that girl I was trying to hit on and like, you know, you ruined it? Like, that was the whole thing, too. And then, of course, the reminiscent guy says, I'm not going to forget this man. You know, of course he won't. But anyway, so... We also then get uh, Amanda and Ron. We get an intro to them because this guy Ron comes up to Amanda. And I guess they're also like cousins, apparently. Um, And so they're talking to one another. And that guy's played by Eric Palladino. uh, But they're talking to one another. And they kind of go off and they walk uh, together um, away which is fine. Then Kenny and his friends get back together because, you know, they've kind of had their own separate ways at this like party. But like, obviously Kenny is just struck out with like girl after girl. And then they say something where they're talking about, I don't even know what they're talking about, but like, this is where the line comes in where um, Kenny is just like, yo, why you gotta waste my flavor? Which is like so silly. But again, this is like Kenny trying to like, you know, get with, with chicks and it's not really working, which of course he is. So, you know, that's kind of what he's doing with his character. We then get Mike Dexter coming over to, with the party. He's like coming over to his friends and they're, he's like, so have you done it yet? Like, have you broke up with your girlfriends? Like we planned on doing. Um, so he goes up to TJ and TJ's talking to him about like, oh, hey, like, you know, we were going to, you know, we're going to go to Pearl Jam or whatever, or they they're all like talking about these things. I think this one, he's specifically talking about how like, yeah, I, I was going to, but then like, you know, my girlfriend, like she, you know, her parents are going to go away and whatever. And they have like mirrors above the bed. And so like, obviously they have to have sex there where he could watch himself in the mirror. It's like so silly. And TJ is like doing these things where like miming sexual acts, which is just like really silly. But the basic idea is that uh, these guys are probably not going to be breaking up with their girlfriends anytime soon. So that just kind of leaves Mike out in the cold. We then see Denise alone on the couch uh, at the party. And she's just kind of sitting there trying to, like, you know, adjust herself and try to make herself more comfortable. We then see a girl sit next to her on this um, on this couch. And she asks her, says, like... 
oh, hey, don't you go to our school? Um, and they're like, yeah, I do. Uh, this is She's credited as language lab girl because she asked, like, weren't you in my language lab? And this girl is Allie McLean. And so um, she says, yeah, yeah, I was. And then she's just like, I told you she went to our school. Pay up, you know, and, and all of this, which I just thought was kind of funny and silly. So we have that kind of all going on, which is fun and enjoyable. And so then we have our next bit of, we have Love Burger drama as well going on. Um, we, we have well Love Burger drama where they're all like imploding on one another. And like, they're uh, like, they haven't even done anything yet, which is just so funny to me because like, they haven't even played anything yet as Love Burger, but like, they're all fighting with each other. And so like, this is where um, the drummer like says, wait, like, I think like, Breckenmeyer calls the drummer, um, like, Hootie. And then also, like, uh, what's his name? The drummer, uh, fucking D- Donald Faison. He says something about, like, the white artist formerly known as Prince and, and all that. They're just having, like, drama or whatever. So, again, we then see... Okay, because we also get, I think, we get the girls who party it is. Uh, she has to put out a fire that one of her curtains has caught on fire. And then she smells poop, I guess. And so she's like on the floor, like smelling around, like smelling if anybody's shoes has poop on them. Um, so that happens as well. But then we also have Kenny like sitting, he's sitting on like an ottoman or something. And like, we then hear these two girls and the one girl is the ready-to-have-sex girl, is what she's known of. She's played by Nicole Bilderback, who was from, well, she was in Clueless. She would also then be in Bring It On, and that's always fun. But you have that girl, um, have her, that's always fun. And then we have Leslie Grossman, who's her friend, who, who was in Popular, and she's also an American Horror Story as well. But anyway, so... This girl who's ready to have sex, she pretty much is like, this guy like had sex, you know, my boyfriend had sex with this sophomore and like, you know, I'm going to beat him in his own game and I'm going to like have sex with the next guy who hits on me. No, the next guy who even talks to me. And then of course, like Kenny makes himself fall back over and he starts talking to this girl and then she decides, you know, hell, why not? I'm going to like fuck this guy pretty much. So he's like, oh, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, 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 yeah. So then we also have this um, scene, I believe, where we see throughout the party, and then I think what ends up happening is somebody has, like, drawn on the family portrait of the girl whose party it is, and so, like, she's just like, who did this? Who did this? And so, but Kenny goes up to her and is like, oh, because he's trying to find, like, a bathroom, but all the bathrooms downstairs are, like, completely being used, and there's long lines for them. And so he's just like, hey, like, you know, can I, like, do you have another bathroom anywhere? And she's like, yeah, like, there's one upstairs, but you can't go up there. And so he, like, finagles his way to be able to go up there, and she's like, okay, but only you. Only you can go up there. And also, keep in mind, like, the the door knob is, like, kind of broken, so, like, you know, don't close it all the way. But he doesn't hear any of that. He goes upstairs to then prep where he is like, I don't know what the hell he's doing. He's like getting in here because earlier we saw him with his love uh, pack, 
his like love chest or whatever the fuck, which is like his backpack filled with shit. This is all that is also in the convenience store where his friends call him a fag for having a, a scented candle, which I I just thought was like really silly. Um, of course, it was 1998. I myself am a gay, so like I don't really care. But like uh, it was just what you talked at the time, honestly. But anyway, so doesn't make it right, but still, it's one of those things. But I'll get to a scene where I I think it is kind of funny. We have that. We have Kenny getting ready in this upstairs bathroom. He's like doing just weird shit. Like he's like up on the sink and he's like trying to read from the Karma Sutra. And it's like a whole thing. Like, God, he's trying so hard. And it's like so weird. And then Denise, um, she's like walking through the party. Like she's so over it. And then we see these two hippie people. So the one we have a hippie girl and a hippie guy and the girl is eating a brownie and she's like, dude, like these brownies suck. And she like throws it and it hits Denise in the face. And so she gets brownie thrown in her face. And then the hippie guy then licks Denise's face to get some of the the brownie off. He's like, oh, I wasn't going to let it go to waste. Now, this is kind of funny because these people are actually played. So the hippie girl, I didn't know until I just looked, was played by a girl named Meadow Sisto, who, if you don't already know, she's the older sister of Jeremy Sisto, uh, who is known for having been in a bunch of movies, Wrong Turn, 13, Six Feet Under, all that stuff. But then it's also funny because uh, the hippie guy is a gentleman by the name of Eric Balfour. Eric Balfour has been on Buffy uh, in the first few episodes. He was in the first two episodes, I think. He was in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. He's also been on Six Feet Under. He played Claire's boyfriend in the first season, Gabe. Uh, and it's just funny that like he licks Lauren Ambrose's face, and then a couple of years later, they would end up playing a couple, which I just thought was funny. And then also it's funny because Meadow Sisto, who is also in this movie, like I said, uh, her brother would end up playing in Six Feet Under as well, and then, like, he has a storyline in there with Claire, so I just thought that was, like, really fun. Again, maybe I should make a Six Feet Under podcast. I don't think I could do that, but anyway, go listen to uh, We're Not Over Six Feet Under if you want to go watch, go listen to a podcast about that. They're actually really good. But anyway, so Denise goes, and she goes up to the same bathroom that Kenny is in, and he she finds him in there, like, with his pants half down and, like, taking, because he had, um, he spilled something on himself. I don't remember what he spilled, but he spilled something on himself. And so now he's trying to, like, he he says something about, like, she's going to think I have that premature evacuation, which I thought was really silly. And so, you know, he's, like, taking a hairdryer to his his pants. And so Denise is, like, in the bathroom, and she's just like, oh, God. But then the door closes behind them. And as the girl said earlier, the, the knob is kind of broken. So, like, it ends up locking him in there, which sucks. And they get stuck in the bathroom. So... They're stuck upstairs in the bathroom at this party that nobody's going to hear them uh, at all. And then we also have a scene where I think it is the uh, the X-Files. They're on the top of the pool house. And they're like, I wonder how William's doing. And so we go into the party. He's like, there's something I was supposed to do. And then I think also there's a scene where like he gives that little card of telling how much he can drink. He gives it to some guy, I guess. But he then says, I think there was something I was supposed to do. And I think he then kisses a girl 
and he just says like he can't feel his legs and he's just like i can't feel my legs which i just thought was like really silly and it's kind of the fun i guess of like you know william is in a way getting to let loose which is kind of the whole thing of a teen movie is that like this person who is so proper and a geek and all this kind of stuff finally gets to let loose one night and this is that for him which i thought was really interesting and you can also see that it reminds me of book smart actually by olivia wilde if you haven't seen that movie go watch it it's great don't watch don't worry darling but watch that watch book smart though because this also happens in there where like beanie feldstein who's in that movie she plays a very type a person who hasn't had fun for four years of high school and she realizes that like all these people around her who she thought were like just not doing anything with their lives also were doing really well but like they were also having fun and so she and her friend um who i believe is played by caitlin deaver i believe uh they finally cut loose one night for the first time in high school and it does harken back to me a little bit with will in this story which i thought was really fun mike dexter then goes and talks to his friends who are now dancing with their prospective prospective girlfriends and he's just like so why have you broken up with them huh like what the hell so they're like you know we were going to but then like you know beth's dad like got us tickets to pearl jam and it's not until like july so like we're gonna do it after that and this is the point where Mike just knows that he's not going to get his friends to break up with their, their girlfriends. Like, he already knows this. So he's just like, you know what? Fuck you guys then. Like, whatever. <laughs> and then we have the scene with Amanda and Ron. Now, uh, they're talking, like, in a little piano room on the side. So, again, Amanda and Ron are, like, second cousins or whatever. And they're talking a little bit. I don't remember what they're talking about. But then we have our scene where we have Preston by the pool who he is talking about how, like, he believes... He has this whole speech about, like, how he believes that there is somebody for everybody, right? And he has this, like, really introspective monologue, if you will, um, about how he thinks, like, there's somebody for everybody, and that person is Amanda for him, and, like, all that kind of stuff, which I thought was just, like, really interesting. Uh, You know, that's, that's fun. I enjoy that. It's... Nothing too bad, I guess. Um, But anyway, yeah, his monologue is pretty much about him. Like, he thinks that there's somebody out there for everybody. And to him, that's Amanda. And so then we have his, um, he like, he seems to be talking to somebody we don't know who he's talking to yet. And so then we find out that he's actually been talking to the foreign exchange student who he just says, like, would you like to touch my penis? And it's just like really stupid and silly. So we're back into the bathroom with Kenny and Denise and Kenny is trying to barge the door down. And so that's our little bit that we get with them. I don't remember exactly what they talk about with this, but this is them just trying to barge the door down. Uh, And so they just know they're not going to get out, which is like so unfortunate and sucks. We then see that Preston comes back into the party and he is trying to find Amanda because again, he's like emboldened and he's ready to like do this thing. Right. But then he sees Ron and Amanda, because Ron, well, what happened before this was that, like I said, Preston came back to the party, but before he did, Amanda and Ron were having this conversation about how, like, Amanda, you know, at her old junior high school was just, like, this nobody, and it was a big deal that, like, Mike Dexter wanted to date her, you know, when she came to this new school, and so she then is talking about how, like, 
I broke up with him because he's immature. Like he still, you know, gives wedgie to freshmen and all this kind of stuff. And, and I broke up with him for a reason, you know, but like also what I also think of it with like, who am I without him? Because she already kind of knows like, okay, I, I was this thing. I was this popular person who, you know, I had something to give, I guess, or I had something. It made me something to be Mike Dexter's girlfriend. But now that I am not, who am I supposed to be now? Which is totally fair, you know, uh, with her. And I think that's why some people um, respond to her character in particular, because, yeah, I think some people do feel that way. They feel like, they feel as if, like, I come into this one, I come into this new situation and I end up getting to create this whole new persona for myself, right? And so now, like, that I don't have that persona anymore, who am I now? So I, I just thought that was really interesting. And, and uh, yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, it's it's more than just Amanda being this, like, popular girl. We see that, like, she's had a history. And she also is wondering who she's now going to be now that she's out of high school and now that she has broken up with somebody who she spent four years with. And so how do you differentiate yourself? And so I, I just thought that was a really, that was a really good little, that was a really good little scene. But then of course, like um, Ron kisses her like weirdly because they're cousins. It's really weird. But then Preston sees this and he is like devastated. Um, he doesn't understand the context of course, but like, you know, uh, cause he didn't see that, but like, He's mortified and he's just like, oh, I'm so stupid, you know? So in, but you obviously do see that like, um, Amanda is like, you know what? Screw you. Uh, and screw you, Ron. Like, Amanda, you won't tell my parents about this, right? But you see that like, all right, Amanda's just like, all right, fuck this, like whatever. But then Preston's kind of like, oh, fuck this, you know? And so he throws his letter away. He was about to give it to her, but he throws it away. William then talks about the stars to somebody and how we're all just like salt on God's pretzel, which I thought was kind of fun, to this stoner guy. We then see Mike Dexter, who then sits down on this like swinging um, chair thing with these two girls on each end. And one of whom is Selma Blair in an uncanny cameo. And so they say that Mike is like, I heard this guy said that you thought I was really, really hot or whatever. And then they're like, yeah. And then I also heard that that guy told us you thought we were skanky. And so they just like leave. We then have the X-Files on the top of the roof again. Uh, Again, they're just like kind of up there. Oh, I think that they're playing with their flashlights and like their flashlights fall down to the ground and they were like playing with lightsabers. Uh, but then they like, you know, they fall to the ground and then now it's dark. Um, but they're still on top of there. I feel for them. But anyway, so then Preston decides he's going to go cruising and he decides to call Barry Manilow because what ended up happening was... Because what you see is that, like, he's going cruising, he's hearing Barry Manilow, but then he's also, like, he hears on the radio, I believe, that Barry Manilow is going to be, like, answering questions or something. In the meantime, while you have Preston on his little sad boy montage, um, 
I've used that term at least a couple times now, but like, yeah, he's in a sad boy montage in his car. We are back at the party and the letter that he has thrown away because we see the yearbook girl somehow, uh, her yearbook got thrown away. And so she finds it in the trash, but then unexpectedly and unknowingly she the letter that got thrown away by Preston then ends up going back into the party and landing in like bowl of pretzels I believe and so Amanda is sitting in front of it where she sees the letter finally but we'll get to that in a minute before she sees the letter we then go up to the bathroom with Kenny and Denise Kenny is talking about, like, you know, talk about how, like, you know, oh, Denise, you think you're so much better than everyone else? And be like, I don't think I'm better than anybody else. And she, of course, is like, listen, there's a mirror right there. Like, you know, take a look at it. You're white, you know? So, like, that's a whole thing, too. But then this is where I think Kenny starts to say, like, I don't always talk like, like this. I don't always talk like that. And you don't even know me. You don't even know anything about me. And Denise is like, yes, I do. Like, I've known you for a long time. You were Kenny Fisher, who we used to play Miami Vice in my basement. You're the Kenny Fisher who we had to, like, leave the hall light on every night. You know, you got me. You're the Kenny Fisher who gave me a little Valentine's card every year with the, you know, little hearts with the words on them. You're also the Kenny Fisher who decided you know to stop talking to me when I was when we got to junior high because you were so adamant about sitting with the trendy table and I was in all the smart classes and my parents didn't make a ton of money and and all this stuff that kind of compounds on itself but you now see what their kind of history has been is is that they they really were friends they were like best friends in a way and somehow Preston, I guess, kind of came in and became Denise's friend, I guess. But before that, it was Kenny Fisher. But, you know, it it ended up being this thing where Kenny had to go off and try to be something else. And it's interesting because he really didn't find much else. He just turned into this kind of antiquated caricature, if you will, you know, so... I just thought that was really interesting. But then we have Preston at the football field. He's in his car or he's laying on top of his car with the radio on. And he's thinking, he's like, well, if it wasn't meant for me and Amanda, like, why did I hear Mandy? Like, why the hell did like, (laughs) I haven't heard that song in like 10 years. Like, what, should I go out and buy a dog? Like, huh? So like, he then realizes that the reason they've been playing Barry Manilow songs is because it's like Barry Manilow's birthday, apparently, or something, or... He's on tour or whatever, but I think it was because he was it was Barry Manilow's birthday, so that's why he'd been playing all of his songs. So this all kind of comes back of like there, it was all a coincidence that this was happening, but Preston thought it was fate. He thought it was something more. This is also where he uh, gets the idea to call Barry Manilow because they say, oh, like Barry Manilow is going to be answering questions from his tour, so like you know, call in and you can get ask him a question. And then we go back to the party, and this is where Amanda actually finds the letter, which was addressed to her with Amanda on the envelope. And so we have that, and she actually reads it and finds that it is like a nice little, uh, it's a nice little letter. And it is, of course, signed by Preston Myers. And she doesn't know who he is. So then that leads into the next bit of scenes we have. But yeah, like... 
she finds this and she loves it. Like she's so into it. She's into the, she's into the letter, but uh, now she has to go on a hunt to try to find out who Preston is. We then see Preston over at uh, the, he is at a diner place and they have these like, he's a, at these payphones and kids for any of you who don't know a payphone is where you'd have to go and you know um put money into a payphone to go and call somebody before we had cell phones but uh <laughs> we then have we have this he's on the phone trying to get through to Barry Manilow and we then have somebody come up in the distance and we find that it is a woman who is played by Jenna Elfman who at that point I think had been on Dharma and Greg by this point and unfortunately, he's a Scientologist. But anyway, but she's on here and she's an uncredited cameo as Angel Stripper because we see this woman who is dressed up like an angel and she is like, hey, you know, I, I need to use the phone. Like, it's an emergency. He's like, oh, there's two other ones. Be like, yeah, they're broken. Like, I'll be quick. Like, I just need to call a cab because my car just broke down. So then you have, uh, yeah, you have Angel Stripper. And then what Angel Stripper ends up doing is that she hears that like he's trying to call Barry Manilow but she's just like what the fuck like oh god so before Preston can ask his question to Barry Manilow the angel stripper ends his call and has to call for a cab so she like boots him out of the phone booth and makes her call and he's just like you can't just do that you can't just hang up on people's phone calls like that like what the hell and so of course like they have their own kind of like um scene going on where they're talking about like, listen, like, you know, I think mine uh, issue was a little bit more important than yours, Junior. Like, you know, uh, you try having 40 guys, 40 bachelor bachelor party guys and one groom, one groom to be, you know, thrown up on you and you call me and, you know, then your car breaks down at two in the morning and then you can tell me that you've had a bad night. And this is where Preston's like, you're a stripper. And she's like, I'm a dancer. And so she pretty much just like tries reading him. But then he's like, you know what? Yeah, I'm an idiot. I'm like, what the hell? Because he has just this doggedness. that's just like this focus that, you know, he's just like, yeah, maybe I am just an idiot. I just thought all of this up and maybe none of it was actually real or true. And then the angel stripper feels bad. So they end up sitting on a park. They end up sitting on a, a bench outside of this uh, diner place. This diner place was actually Johnny's Broiler, which I had brought up in other podcasts. But Johnny's Broiler is in Downey, California. And it is actually the place where is in Jawbreaker, where they take uh, Liz and they find out she's dead. And they also, this is also in, it is in Reality Bites. It is the diner where Lainey and uh, Vicky go to, uh, they go eat there. And this is what, that's their whole scene that they have. Uh, Winona Ryder and Janine Groffler, they have a scene there where Vicky thinks that she has HIV, AIDS, and she like talks to, to um, Lainey about it. We then have um, Amanda going up to different people, trying to figure out who Preston is. So Amanda goes up to who is referred to as Earth Girl, who's played by Sarah Rue. Love Sarah Rue from Less Than Perfect and Gypsy 83. And like, uh, she's just awesome. And she's also one of my favorite characters in this because she is saying something about like how, well, duh, like he was only, you know, sat next to you in freshman English. But why would I be surprised that you didn't know who Preston was, you know? And 
you know, you wouldn't know who have you doing so like me. Um, and when you're just ordering around your little conformist flock of sheep, sheep, all sheep. And she has like scissors and stuff. Cause she's cutting up like uh, the little soda plastic thingies. And so she just then goes bah. And so I just thought that was like really silly and crazy. But again, it's just showing that like Amanda is trying to figure out who this person is. Then we are back at uh, Angel Stripper and Preston. So we're back with them. And they are now having this whole conversation about, like, fate. And so Angel Stripper is talking about how, like, for her, it was, Bar- it was, um, it wasn't Barry Manilow, but it was Scott Bayo. And Scott Bayo is, like, an actor guy. And he, he came to, I think she was talking about how, like, Thing, he came to this mall or whatever, and she got to meet him. And, you know, everything was falling into place for her, right? And, like, he looked right at me, he got out of his car, he was so beautiful, and I didn't know what to do, I didn't say anything, I couldn't even move. And he, like, gave this red bandana to her or something, and she said, but the thing is, you know, if I had just said something, you never know. And so she also says, she's like, you know, fate, there is fate, but it only takes you so far because once you're there, it's up to you to make it happen. And so Preston's like, yeah, you're so right about that. And so she tells him, she's like, so you know what? Don't make the same mistake I did. If you really want to be with him, you get back on that phone and you call Barry Manilow and you let him know. (laughs) You let him know how you feel. And he's like, oh, wait a minute. Like, no, I'm not trying to like profess my love to Barry Manilow. And she's like, don't worry. Don't worry, honey. You know, look at me, Scott Bayo. Like, you know, we all have our things. But this then emboldens uh, our good old, you know, Preston to then still just try to go for it because he should. We then see that Love Burger breaks up. Uh, and so, but then after they break up, we see that this guy comes up with like a radio. And the radio um, is he decides to then play Paradise City. Uh, and Paradise City is by the Guns N' Roses. And so, uh, who I've seen in concert, by the way. I don't, I think I got to hear Paradise City. There was one that I didn't get to hear. Maybe it wasn't that. I don't remember. But anyway, so, but <laughs> we see that William is like with these other people because he's drunk as hell. And so, but he notices, he's like, oh, wait, wait, I know that song. Like this guy who I tutored, like made me listen to it. And so he goes up and he's just like the life of the fucking party now. And we go into this whole new musical number of Will singing to Paradise City. And he's just like getting this party riled up. He's getting them like gassed up, which is like awesome and wonderful. Uh, we also see the the geeks on top of the shed. And one of them takes their retainer and says like, if I look closely, my retainer looks like a Klingon warship. Um, so that was kind of fun. But I love this fucking, like, um, Paradise City number that they have because it's just showing that, like, fucking... Well, what it's showing to me is that, like, William has been able to let loose. He's enjoying himself. He's really getting into this. And this is just one of those things that shows, like, I've cut the fuck loose and I am the life of this party. So I really love that. And I think that's a really fun scene, personally. We then are back with Denise and Kenny. We haven't seen them in a minute, but, you know, we're back with them. And this is where they're like, you know, Denise says like, you know, oh, so you didn't write Denise Fleming as a tampon on my locker in freshman year. And he's like, no, I did not write Denise Fleming as a tampon in your locker. And he's like, okay, well, I had another guy write it 
on your locker, but, you know, I promise that's all I did, you know? And then Denise is like, well, you know, fine, it's okay. You know, I told this girl that you were a dendrophiliac. And he's like, what's that? And he's like, she's like, oh, it's a person who has sex with trees. And he's just like, oh, uh, that's not funny. So you see them kind of like, you see them kind of becoming friendly a little bit. Like they can have a laugh with each other. And again, they've been in this thing for like hours because when we were with Preston and the angel, we find out that it's like 2 AM. So I'm just like, Jesus Christ, it's late. But anyway, so then you see good old uh, Will is getting some chicks after his rendition of Paradise City, uh, which is like really wonderful and amazing. But anyway, so uh, he's getting some chicks uh, which is like really fun and really fun, but uh, he's like going into like a closet or like a fucking room or whatever with them, and there's this girl who's like, you know, did those girls just go into the closet with like you know William Lichter? They're so lucky, and you know, it's just like showing this whole other fucking um like side of him, which I think is just really fun. We then see Mike Dexter. He is on the swinging uh, little swing. And then we see Trip McNeely come up. And Trip McNeely is played by Jerry O'Connell, fresh off of Scream 2. But he is uh, talking to him because he is in college now and he knew Mike Dexter. He was like the popular guy. But he is talking to him about, like, you know, are you still with that Amanda girl? And be like, oh, ha, ha, ha you know, all this. And Mike is thinking like, oh, he must be racking it up at college. He's like, I can't, I don't, can't even get digits as a freshman. And he thought, like Tripp thought that it was gonna be like a 24 hour seven orgy. That's why he broke up with his girlfriend. And he's saying that like college chicks are just different. They're all serious. They talk about world issues and ecological crap. They want to date older guys. And it just shows that like Mike seems to have thought that he was like, a big hot thing right and trip probably thought the same thing but when he broke up with his girlfriend he tried going back to her and he didn't she wasn't here for it i don't know it's just funny because it's just showing mike like hey you think that like this guy is like really cool and really awesome but like really he's just kind of a loser at the end of the day which is like really sad we then go back to Amanda trying to find out who Preston is. So we have um, <laughs> we have her going up to the stoner guy, played by Brian Klugman, and also the watermelon guy, who's played by Jason Siegel. Now, it's a little late in my podcast now for this, but this movie definitely was supposed to be rated R. Um, like, they had Jason Siegel in this movie as watermelon guy. He was actually implied to be having sex with the watermelon, so that was kind of funny. And we also have Crying Drunk Girl, um, who we never see in this cut. She's played by Jennifer Elise Cox, who had just been in a very Brady sequel in the Brady Bunch movie as Jan. So, like, she was playing tr- Crying Drunk Girl, who all of her stuff was subtitled because um, nobody could understand her. But we don't ever actually see her, weirdly enough. But, um, yeah, but Jason Siegel's there. We then also have, after, because, like, the guy gives, uh, the stoner guy gives Amanda a very vague, uh, description of Preston. And so she's like, okay, well, this is, this is not doing anything for me. So, um, but then the stoner guy talks to watermelon guy. He's like, you know who else is really cool? You know who else is great? Is Velma from Scooby-Doo. She was a real hip, hip lady. And if you don't already know, that was, uh, a clear, uh, homage, uh, to, 
Daisy confused because Slater in that movie says about Martha Washington uh, later on in the movie says something about her being a hip hip lady. And so that's kind of a little um, little uh, homage to that. But Amanda tries getting so Amanda runs into Mike and Mike is all like trying to pretty much get Amanda back. But she's not into him. Like, she is just like, listen, like, you know, because Mike is literally trying to get her back because he sees the error of his ways. But like, you know, she's just like, you know what? Fuck you. And she literally says, she's just like, listen, like, I'm not into you like that. Like, you're, I'm not going to like be with you because you want to be with me kind of a thing. So like, fuck you. And of course, he has to then turn into a dick and be like, you know, who's going to want you? Some, how about nobody? But she then says, she's like, you know what? Somebody wants me. She found the letter. She was like, you know what? Some person wants me. This guy, he wants me. That's, that's great. You know, so like, and I think that's really nice. And, and she's standing up for herself, which I really appreciate with this character. I do like Jennifer Love Hewitt's character in this. I like Amanda because she is a little bit more, a little nuanced than just like the popular girl. I think she does have that little bit of, a depth to her because she's not just a popular girl because she has her own thoughts and feelings and her own insecurities and stuff like that. So I thought that was kind of cool. So she rebuffs him. She reads him. She says something about somebody, you know, somebody's out there who wants me. And Mike is just pretty much made embarrassed in front of everybody, but he's just like still keeping with the thing. And this is where somebody in the crowd says he, they just like, are you know everyone's looking at him everyone's just like oh wow like all that happened and then somebody from the crowd just yells out fag and again that term it depends on who you are and how you feel about it and whatever but to me i think this scene was kind of funny because i was just like it it just was like funny to me because i'm just like it's so out of left field and everyone starts laughing at him but it's funny to me because mike dexter has really kind of been an asshole throughout this whole movie uh, and especially in this scene, like he was being an asshole to uh, Amanda in this. So I was just like, you know what? He kind of deserved that, honestly. And like, he just did. So I just thought that was like kind of funny. Again, the term you could take for what it was or if whatever, if it offends you or whatever. But I personally thought it was funny because of who it was directed toward. So that's my opinion. And then, of course, after, you know, Amanda rebuffs this guy, uh, all these guys want to, like, fucking hit on her. And she's just like, you know what? Like, fucking, God, Jesus Christ. So and they're, like, really creepy about it and just, like, really weird about it. And she's just like, Jesus Christ. So then Preston, though, um, Preston tells Amanda, because he comes back into the party and he sees Amanda. He doesn't know what actually happened yet. He doesn't know. He wasn't there. So... He tells her that he loves her and explains all of this, but then she reads him without knowing who he is. She is just like, which I mean, fair, but like, you know, she's saying like, God, I haven't even been single for like five minutes. I used to think I'm going to like throw my clothes off because like you profess your love to me and all this. Like, you know what? Well, fuck you then. Like, just screw you. So again, I wish this movie was rated R and I wish they could have done it like, Oh, God, I just wish. But anyway, so Preston's heartbroken. Amanda's just annoyed. And then we go to William and Mike because Will, again, is like trying to 
get Mike to come out and like come out to the pool house and all that. And he's like talking to him about like, Hey Mike, like there's these twins, right? They're, they're triplets, man. And like, they want you, he wants you to watch them and, and like all this. And so then Mike is just kind of crying to himself. He's just like, he's just like, I'm a loser. I'm a loser. All my, like all my friend, like my bro- girlfriend broke up with me. I like, I broke up with her and like, then, you know, like my friends are all, and then somebody just called me a fag in there. Like it's a whole thing. Like he's just like so little heartbroken and it's like really sad. I'm just like, Oh, again, he was an asshole, but like still, I kind of feel for him. I'm like, you know what? Like he fucking, this is a little bit of like, Oh, okay. Like, no, oh, that, that, that sucks for him. Like, you know, he, he realizes how much of a loser he's been. And then Mike hugs William and the song choice in here is weird because like, it's just boys to men. I'll make love to you. And I'm just like, Okay, what kind of song choice are we doing here? Like, what, what the... Okay, anyway. But we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. So then we go back to Denise and Kenny in the bathroom. And they're talking about how, like, they used to sing and dance to, like, New Kids on the Block, which is really fun. They both each talk about how they're both... <laughs> Kenny is reading Denise for her shoes. And, like, Denise is all like, what's with the goggles? Like, you know, y'all are, like you're a fashion victim and all this. They're kind of reading each other, but then you know what? Like they're laughing with one another. They're getting to, you know, be friendly with one another. And Kenny kisses Denise and then Denise kisses Kenny back. And that's like really nice and wonderful and fun. And I'm just like, Oh, it's very, it's very nice. Then I believe it comes down to, so again, they start kissing then Amanda, I think the yearbook girl comes up to Amanda and is like, I don't think she signed her yearbook yet. And so she sees that like Preston, which I don't know how she would have seen that, but I guess she, unless she was looking through the whole thing, but she sees who Preston is because she's been trying to find Preston this whole time. And so this guy just like professed her love to her professes love to her and she like rebuffs him but she then realizes the guy who just professed his love to her is preston and she's like oh fuck oh god shit um and i think she throws i think she throws the the yearbook and it ends up in the pool or something like that then you know what will and mike you see them they got drunk they're drunk and they have a heart to heart where like mike is sorry for you know what he's done to Will over the past couple years and, and all this. And they have a nice little heart to heart. Um, so again, they're making up and they become friendly kind of Denise and Kenny decide that they're going to have sex in the bathroom. So like Kenny at least had some preparation for what he had. He discloses the fact that he's never done this before with her or with anybody really. And Denise says, like, well, there was this one guy, like, blah, 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 all this. So then they decide they're going to have sex in the bathroom on that floor. I'm just like, oh, God. Anyway, but you do what you got to do, I guess. But then we see that the police have finally come to the party and they're breaking up the party now. So everyone's like running out and kind of scattering and running away. So then uh, the police are breaking up the party. And while all that's happening... Then during this time, like Mike and Bill, they're like running away, right? (laughs) Billy, (laughs) William, whatever his name is, but they're running away, right? And like, they're just running from the police and all that. But like, 
<laughs> I, I love how like Mike is like, hey, come here, Billy, you know, and all this. And they end up at, at where the at the pool house where he was supposed to take him before. But now they've like become friendly or whatever. And so then still the friends, the X-File guys, like they they jump on top of them as they were t- instructed to do so. And they knock about. And they start taking these pictures of these of Mike Dexter in the sky, and then they end up finding out that it's Mike Dexter and their friend William, and they're just like, "Oh shit, I don't, I don't feel good now. This sucks now. Oh god." I wrote in my notes. It's Bill and um, Mike are gay for each other. Oops. So, because again, the worst thing you could be is gay. Oh no. But then I also like how the klepto kid steals the police car because I love how he just steals everything. Again, best character. But then we see a nice little awkward uh, post-sex conversation uh, with Denise and Kenny. So she tells him, she's like, well, you know, it, it gets better as time goes on and it can last longer. And then, of course, he's saying something about like, well, maybe if it was like with a different girl, like, you know, oh, you've had sex once and like you think you're some expert. And she's like, you know what? I'm not just I'm not some fucking expert. I'm just saying I'm trying to give you this feedback, you know, and whatever. And she he says something kind of shitty to her. I don't remember exactly what he says to her, but he says something shitty and she's just like, you know what? Don't pull that. Like, I'm gone. Like, get me out of here. And this is then where um, they're getting dressed again. But then the girl whose party it is runs into the bathroom and she's just like, what the hell are you guys doing? And so they're just like running out and be like, and so this is just like her being like, you know, um, this is the girl whose party it is. Like, Kenny Fisher's just like, I thought I told you you could be up here. Be like, what kind of person has a fucking door that they can't fucking, like, fix on this thing? Like, whatever, whatever. I'd be like, you need to calm down. She's like, and the girl whose party it is, she's just like, you know, I've had the worst night, so let me tell you about my night. And it's a whole thing, and I, I thought that was really funny. But then we are over to, so again, everyone's left, and um, Denise is walking down the road, and Kenny's, like, driving beside her. And they reconcile finally because they're just like, hey, look, I'm sorry. Like, I I didn't mean that. Like, you know, I shouldn't have said that shitty thing to you. Like, and you see that they're like actually kind of here for each other and into each other, which I actually really like that. I think it makes total sense. Like, they are able to reconcile and they're able to like, they they get to have this nice little makeup, if you will. And... And it's kind of nice because really, when you think about it, they have known each other for a long time and they kind of, you know, they kind of dropped off. And then now they've found that they're still really good for each other in a way. And it's really nice. So I don't know. I I like their little storyline. It's kind of cute. Then we see Will has ended up in jail. And so he's just like, oh, God, like, you know are my parents out there? Like, you know, did my, does my dad have a weapon? Like take, take away any weapons he might have or whatever. And so the police officer comes in there and the police officer is all like, like, well, you're lucky. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's going on about police officer shit. And so, but then he's talking about how like Mike Dexter, cause I guess him and Mike both ended up in jail or whatever because, Oh yeah, they found the kids. They found Mike and Bill together. And so they're like, yeah, we're going to take him into the station. But then we see that Mike has actually kind of covered for for Bill. He's 
covered for him by saying that like he forced him to drink and to do these things or whatever the hell. Like he kind of like made him do it. Um, so he kind of was able to, to cover for him a little bit. He's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that happened. Right, right. When we really know that Bill was behind all of it and he really was like doing all of shit, which good for him at least. He got to cut loose and have fun. But like, yeah. Then we're getting to the close of our episode. Uh, so we have that uh, Preston and Denise, they end up at this diner outside in Preston's car and talking about how like, hey, what happened with that thing with Amanda? Be like, oh, it didn't, it didn't work out very well. And be like, so you and Kenny, huh? And be like, don't ask. Like, I don't, I don't know how this all happened, but like, I guess it works. I guess, you know, I guess it's fate. And they kind of talk about how like, they go on about like a little bit about fate and you know, all that. And then Preston ends up, uh, and I always, I like the little thing where, uh, they see Kenny through the window and he's like, drink some coffee and he has like um whipped cream on his nose and he like waves at them it's like really funny and silly but uh then we see that let's see i think it's preston gets in his car he drives away because he's on his way to a workshop i believe denise then goes in to the diner and walks away she's like call me when you get there you know all this and it's like all really fun and then each uh, little, like, table or whatever has their people. So, like, for example, we have Klepto Kid who steals a gumball machine, which I love. And then we also have um, Yearbook Girl and Reminiscing Guy. They've gotten together. That's, like, super nice. Interracial relationships. Love it. Anyway, so we have that. And then we also have um, Mike Dexter. His friends are at breakfast. And then Will comes in there. And he's, like, trying to sit with them because he thinks, like, oh, and me and Mike Dexter were buddies now. But he's just like, uh, no, we're not. Like, you're still a geek. And so he's, like, doing that. And he's like, you know what? God, okay, whatever. So then we see that, like, um, and then we're getting to the end of the movie. So, like, we see that, like, uh, Mike rebuffs uh, this guy. And so uh, we see that later on we have our little tag at the end where we have William went to Harvard. He created this, like, billion 40 billion 40 million dollar company or something and he's now engaged to a supermodel or some shit we then see that mike dexter's like making fun of him or whatever and then we see that mike dexter like you know he didn't end up getting into college or like he something like that i don't remember exactly but he's like 40 pounds overweight now and he's like still trying to like he ends up just being kind of a loser you know in his future we then see um Mike and uh, we see that Denise and Kenny they're together, and um, so like five or ten minutes later, it says that they, you know, Denise broke up with Kenny, but then about ten minutes later, they found a bathroom and they like made up with each other. So we're guess they're going to be in a relationship now. So then we see that Preston is on his way, or he's in a train station now, where he's getting onto a train, and he sees or somebody comes up to him. And said, hey, you forgot this. And so we see it's Amanda. And Amanda is handing him this this letter that he wrote to her. And they finally find each other. And she's just like, you know, she's like, hey, so you're on your way leaving. Like, that's so great that you get to go to Dartmouth or whatever. Like, it's so awesome. Um, and she's he's like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm leaving on my way right now. And. I'm leaving on my way right now and you know, I'm going to be up there and she's just like, well, you know what? Congratulations. Like, I just thought I would let you know like that. I read your letter and, and all of this. Right. 
but then we see that I think this is kind of nice that like we see that like Amanda just wanted to say her piece and then she decides to leave and she's like on her way out and then Preston's just like there he's just like oh god god I don't want to do this he's like you know what fuck it so like he runs over to her and she's he's just like you know what He's like, Amanda, I'm sure that there's like a, a later, a later train I can take, you know, and I'll still be okay. And he's just like, cause I want to, I want to be with you and I want to see if this works. So, you know what? Let's, let's do it. And so then they end up kissing and just showing that like, you know what? Maybe it is all fate and maybe that is all there, you know, and that's really nice. And I, I like that little ending again. I think it's kind of cheesy. It's very much a you know, kind of a, you know, typical teen ending. Um, but then you see their little tag is that they're dating and, you know, like they're still together and they're still making it work. And I just think that's like so nice because it is a nice little happy ending for this. And, and, uh, yeah, again, it's very typical teen movie, but like, I don't care. I, I think it's really nice and I personally enjoy it. And then we come to the end of our, our movie, really, which is great. Uh, but then we see uh, the actual end of the movie is where the X-File guys, uh, after this party, it's morning now, we're to assume that this has all happened overnight. And so they're walking down the road and they're just like talking about like, you know, whatever. And they end up getting actually abducted by aliens at the end of this and so they like look up and they're just like whoa take us to your leader and like they just get abducted by aliens and then that's how the actual movie ends and then we have our end credit scene where we have some of the people in the movie have been taking these um like yearbook shots uh like photos and uh we hear the song can't hardly wait by i believe the replacements i believe it was uh it's playing over this as well um, and that is the end of Can't Hardly Wait. So in regards to uh, this film, Can't Hardly Wait, I really do, I tend to enjoy it as a uh, as a teen movie, if anything. I think it is one that definitely kind of paved the way for other teen movies to come, uh, where it took this simple concept of a high school graduation party and turned it into something that I think has some good messages in it and some good stuff to say. Some of the stuff's obviously dated as well and, you know, doesn't always age the best, but generally I think it's still a fun movie that people can tend to enjoy um, if they watch it at a certain age or if you have a certain level of nostalgia for it. I definitely think it's uh, a fun watch. And then also just the idea that, like, you know, these folks then went on to make Josie and the Pussycats, uh, which is also really fun film and then also like having this like who's who of different people in this film that were like right at the beginning of like a bigger career that they ended up having so i thought that was really cool too uh so i definitely i definitely think that can't hardly wait it's worth a watch uh right now you can watch it on hbo max uh because they have a couple different like teen movies on there and sometimes it makes the rounds on like Prime video or somewhere around there. Uh, that's where I've seen it before. So definitely give yourself a chance to, to watch this and enjoy it. And uh, yeah, just enjoy all the 90s nostalgia of it, if anything, and the music in it too, of course, uh, for sure. But I definitely recommend it. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. In case you want to give any movie recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you just want to say, hey, I'm open to all of it. 
You can also follow the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram handle is Cult Cinema Circle, and Twitter handle is Cult Cine Circle. On those platforms, I tend to announce the different episodes I'm going to be doing. I'll make little Instagram stories when we have an episode drop and just generally interact with anybody on there that wants to interact with me. You can also follow me on Letterboxd at Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On there, I log the movies that I watch and write little reviews about them and just general foolishness over there. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much out there everywhere. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review so we can grow the audience more and also just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, where I'll be covering 1991's Popcorn. A master of disguise, deranged killer, begins killing off the college students who are organizing a horror movie marathon in an abandoned theater. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. And remember, you are all sheep. Bah! Take care. Bye.